Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 250. Today is Sunday the 1st of October 2017 and this interview is with Olivier Kanda who's part of my extended family. Olivier is a repeat entrepreneur based in Miami and he's co-founder and CEO of Home 61, building up a disruptive real estate business that promises the greatest real estate experience that you can find in Miami. At its core, Home 61 is about using tech to enhance the real estate experience. In this conversation, we look at how Home 61 is disrupting, what are the challenges of building and scaling such a business, and some key insights that Olivier has gained from his experience and the goldmine of data. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Today, um, piped in from me and me, just, just had this hurricane, so uh, Olivier Granda, who is... Not only my cousin, but a great entrepreneur and um, and also a lover of paddle tennis, amongst other wonderful things. So, Olivier, you and I hung out in New York a few weeks ago, and, and we got to chatting, and I wanted to hear more about your project. So, as I like to ask my guests, tell us uh, who you are in your words, and more importantly, what's your mindset these days? Sure, absolutely. So, um, at heart, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I have been ever since I've been uh, 15, when I was trying to... Uh, bootleg uh, VHS cassette to my friends because I had no curfew and therefore could uh, uh, could, could uh, get uh, the late night shows and, and rent it to my, to my friend to um, opening a flower shop while I was in um, at university and actually in uh, when I turned 22 and I got my diploma um, the same day I left for Brazil and opened um, one of my uh, one of the biggest e-commerce actually in in Brazil, which was similar to a model in France called Vent Privé, which was doing flash sales. And since then, I've been uh, not only entrepreneurs, but an entrepreneur, but on top of that, a tech entrepreneur, and have been doing so, um, and have been doing so ever since. What has been very interesting is that growing up, I was very much a nerd, very much. Uh, somebody who liked comic books, somebody who liked uh, technology, who was engrossed by video games on top of the paddle tennis. Um, and what has been an amazing uh, discovery is that actually the world was becoming more and more like me. Uh, today's the top grossing web, uh, um, movies are actually about comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, the video game industry is, is booming, but more than anything, being tech-enabled is a huge boon and to the fact that it's so ubiquitous that you wouldn't expect children not to be tech-enabled anymore. It's just simply something that is part of life. So I'm actually living a wonderful moment in my life where things are getting more and more to the way I liked it and the way I like it. And I think the future is going to be absolutely amazing. All right. So I'd be interested to ask you this question, which is I get it quite frequently. If you have a kid, which I mean, you're, you're obviously younger uh, than I am. But if you have a kid who's at school, what would you recommend they start doing to get into this alignment with what you're what you're into? So here's a wonderful thing that all studies show that curriculum um, actually is the um, studies in the uh, Baltic and, and northern, northern European countries shows that actually having a set curriculum up until seven years old actually does not produce 
better better children. What is in terms of academic uh, efficiency? What has been shown is that um, them having fun and studying. Uh, whatever they like and whatever they're engrossed about at that current time is what is the most beneficial. And actually, turns out that video games are very good at this. So if I had kids at this time, they would absolutely be with iPads. They would absolutely be playing educational games that gives them short-term rewards to build towards a long-term reward. Um, we will teach them how to uh, do efforts, how to grind, how to pass levels, how to improve themselves. And, um, and and actually study what they want. Um, as they grow up and they get need to have a little bit more of a set curriculum, uh, some of the things that is most important, I believe, in terms of education, is no longer the traditional way of doing education, which has not evolved actually for hundreds of years, which te- teaches people to be accountant, but I would actually teach them about economics, I would actually teach them about programming, I would teach them about finance. It is absolutely insane that every single person needs to pay taxes, but we don't teach anyone how to do them. Um, or how they work, or why they work like this, and so forth. And so I would be a much more practical uh, kind of curriculum geared towards what will be useful and what they, they like. And furthermore, I believe that education in uh, the next generation is not going to be something that is taught, but actually a continuous education where whenever you need to learn a skill, you will actually learn it no matter if you're 30, if you're 50, if you're 70, and you will be able to apply it very rapidly. Um, the world is getting easier and easier. Programming is getting easier. Math is getting easier today. If you have um, an equation, you can just put, put it into uh, Wolfgram, and it will solve it for you. And with all of this, the applied um, way of learning is going to be evolving tremendously. And therefore, I believe my kids will actually be learning throughout their life. We'll consider this as part of their life, just as uh, technology is. And we'll, on top of that, we'll use practical skills. I'm glad you say that because I, one of the things that's important in my in my new book is this notion of continuous learning. And the challenge that we old farts have is that we have perhaps succeeded in getting to where we've got to with some levels of success. And therefore, we tend to say, well, we just reproduce what, what we've done before in order to continue to succeed. And yet this new world is is, is vastly different. In, in the realm of programming, Olivier, you were mentioning, because that's always an area that is of great interest to me. If you had to recommend where to learn and what to learn in coding, what is the type of avenue you go with? Do you need to tell them to do Java, JavaScript, HTML? What 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 do you tell them now? So actually, what I see easiest thing uh, to tell them is you don't really have to, it, which is very different from before. By the way, we, before you had to commit to a language and be stuck with it for the rest of your life. And if you didn't know how to program that other language, it was done. And as I said, now it's continuous learning. So I'll probably start with something like Python or Ruby, which is very intuitive, understand the logic of, uh, of programming, and then you would be actually be able to have transferable skills to change to whichever one you want. Mm. But what is the most important part about programming is not the language, is understand how it works, and understand the logic behind it, which is basically just mass and, lo- mass and logic, and you will be able to, to do a great stride. Um, all platforms now are becoming easier and easier. Literally, the next version of my website, to build it, will be drag and drop. We will have, um, we'll, we're going to have a, a UI style guide where we're going to have all of the elements, and so we're going to drag and drop it drop them and they're going to work almost instantly. Uh, so the work of our programmer, we're currently able to do something 
uh, with true programmers that before would have taken probably 30 or 40 and it'll cost not only just in terms of salary but even in terms of time and investment that it's just a fraction of it and it's evolving so fast so i think everybody should have a basic understanding of programming even if they do not end up being programmers themselves just for the mass the understanding of how their world works around them and for the logic that is behind it well in my experience and and to your point it's amazing how often i see dissonance between people who are making a brief and the people who are doing the programming behind hey listen i just need my site looks beautiful do this and this and this and they don't ever realize the level of complication the bugs that come up and the reality of programming and so they there's this sort of you know we just do it kind of thing and the way you know i get to do this all night long and it still doesn't work and then he's unhappy and then he's pissing me because he's it's late and there's a constant uh, vibration all right, so I actually spend my life sitting in between those two chairs. Um, actually, as a CEO of most startups today, you end up being heavily involved in product. Um, you're trying, trying to get the world of business and the world of tech together. Um, there are certain profiles of, of people, people who will uh, decide to be programmers very often likes, to be, likes things to be extremely precise mm-hmm. and extremely well specced. And mm-hmm. this was not in the spec. It's the number one answer you will get in the uh, uh, in the developer world, and it has to do with the, uh, the dissonance between the between the, the two uh, the two worlds and what people's interests are. Um, programmers like to have a, a challenge, yeah. likes to do things that are com- complicated, but they do not generally care if you're selling lingerie or if you're selling chickens or if you're doing a marketplace. Um, they like the challenge. And this is what is a thrill for life. As for the business people, usually really care about the bottom line, or sometimes in the startup world, just about the top line. Um, and to reconcile this, it's very important, particularly for early stage companies, to have a CEO that is able to reconcile those those two. We see some of the best CEOs today uh, to actually be straddling uh, this fine line, whether it is Mark Zuckerberg, who has actually uh, coded the, fir- the first part, but is obviously more in business right now. Elon Musk, who was initially um, an engineer, but those are the more um, marquee names. You know, th- there's the ones that you you really see in the media, but the reality is that I do not know any new entrepreneur who is not actually straddling this line and has an understanding and a foot in uh, in both worlds. Uh, myself, I actually spend forty percent of my time. Um, doing the product management of the of the company, trying to reconcile the, both, trying to translate the business needs into the developer needs, and spending also a lot of time with our developers to explain why we're doing this, why it is important. Because if they understand the why, then it is much easier when they come in front of something that has not been properly explained to come up to the right conclusion. Um, this was a very famous example uh, about how to um, manage your armies. And you say you have to go and uh, protect that bridge, um, and the, the squadron gets there, and the bridge is broken. Well, they, you didn't tell them why they have to protect that bridge, therefore they do not know what to do. However, if you tell them, go and protect that bridge so nobody crosses it, well, when they get there and they see that the bridge has fallen, mission accomplished, they can go back home. Um, and so explaining... The, uh, Explaining the, the how and not just simply do, do it is very important and, and spending time with your developers explaining both, both sides of the equation is, is extremely important. Well, I love what you're saying, Olivier, and we're going to get into what you're doing in a moment, but this notion of UI, the user interface, 
Because in the end of the day, if you're selling chickens or bras or whatever, the the people who are using it do have different experiences and different expectations. And so that why is also going to be a little bit more about the environment, the context of the people. Maybe it's privacy. Maybe it's the the actual the feelings, what they're expecting. I don't know. There's there are so many more things into it that because the UI, the customer experience happening through the screen is so important. Absolutely, the make or break of of um, of, of a lot of of uh, website games on and so forth is actually made on the on the experience. Um, particular, but this is actually true because of what we had said earlier is that uh, younger generation are tech enabled. To start with, and therefore their, their expectation over quality is so much greater. They expect things to be working well, to have instant customer service if they need. Um, they expect to have prices that are competitive, and to be able to not have any frustration. And we, often, it's very easy to say that new generation are spoiled. I, I disagree. They're right. You, you should never have to stay in line uh, for an hour and a half whether a physical line or on the phone to have a customer service. It, it's not a badge of honor of doing something, of, of, of doing this, or even staying in traffic while you could be doing something else. Um, I think that they are absolutely right to demand superior services and people who cannot deliver it will eventually fail. And to your point, uh, I get a little bit of, let's say, raised eyebrows would be the nice way of putting it when I say luxury companies need to compare themselves with Amazon. And and this especially is with regard to the back end and the recommendation engine and the payment mod, model, you know, the facility with which it works. But, you know, luxury company, no, 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 I much prefer you to wait and wait and have the spinning wheel as the images load up and then, you know, whatever. Transparency not being the number one quality of luxury companies. So, Olivia, let's get into uh, what you're up to because obviously that's, that's really what uh, piqued my interest and uh, as you know, I have um, a fair amount of experience in in uh, in the web and, and e-commerce, and even within real estate. So, you have uh, you're you're going to tell us, but Home sixty one is that your major project? And then what is that? Absolutely. So it is absolutely my major project. It is what I do day and night, uh, seven day, seven days a week. Um, and so. Home 61 is basically t- is a take on the real estate market, the brokerage model, where we see that um, real estate in the U.S. is the be- biggest market there is. There is $2 trillion um, transacted every single year. Um, and what's been incredible is that the market operates um, not in, in a way that is completely inefficient. Um, you end up having... A real estate agent in 95% of the case that will represent the property and a real estate agent that represents a buyer. However, you cannot assess the quality of those real estate agents. You do not know if they're good, if it's a first front transaction or not. The barrier of entry of becoming a real estate agent is very low. Um, and the uh, average tickets are very high. The average transaction in the U.S. is $361,000. And you will be, on each side of the transaction, you stand to make 3%. So what ends up happening is exactly what we were discussing um, actually at an earlier meeting where uh, you have a supply problem. Everybody's a real estate agent. In Miami, with a, popul- a population about uh, 7 million from the very shortest dip to the, to the extended greater Miami, if you will, uh, you have 44,000 real estate agents. Everybody is a, is a real estate agent, but the reality is that two, they only do 2.6 transactions on average 
per agent. It is very, very little. Per, per year. They usually have par- per year. And they're part-time, they do a part-time job. Uh, their first year, they make on average $9,000. Second year, $9,000 as well. And the people who survive 16 years plus only make about $70,000, um, which is good. It's not amazing. Um, and so from the agent perspective, it doesn't work. And from the client perspective, they have an abysmal um, experience, particularly if you're in the mass market. Um, if you're in the luxury market, you usually get real estate agents who have like MBAs, who are very well versed, who have a great insight. But for the mass market, which is actually 80% of the market, you cannot choose your agent. You get it from a refer- reference from a friend who did one transaction with that guy. Um, he doesn't have any customer service service skills, so he doesn't know that he's supposed to answer right right away. He doesn't have any data analysis skills, so even though there is a lot of data in real estate, he doesn't know. You basically have to tell him everything, and he basically takes you by the hand and opens the door for you. Um, so no service, something that you don't you don't by- bypass, and you don't bypass because it is such a big transaction in your life. It is your biggest asset, with the second asset being as your car being. A price which is around fifteen thousand dollars compared to three hundred sixty-one thousand dollars on average. That you absolutely want to have somebody here. Here and so, to resume, to summarize in for in English, uh, to summarize, biggest market. Everybody wants to have an agent. Is um, they have a terrible service, and on top of that, the, uh, the it doesn't work for the agent. So it works for no one, and we keep the system. So like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. That's the rent. Um, That's the rent. And you know, and to your uh, and to your point, Olivia, obviously, there's from my angle, uh, I see the lack of trust that people have in real estate agents. I mean, there's I think it's along the lines of second secondhand car salesmen in terms of the appreciation. And then the other thing I think that's important in this, so which probably underlies that high ticket price. It's an extremely emotional decision because it is Absolutely. where you live. And and then, you know, as couples get into it, no, I like this one. No, I like that one. And, you know, I, and then afterwards they move into it and, you know, oh, it was your fault. We shouldn't have got this place in the first place. There's, you know, it's, it's imbued with a lot of emotional impact. Yes, and all the more reason why they want to have a little bit of de- deference to their real estate agent so they, the real estate agent can guide them and kind of take away some part of the, of the decisions. That's something we see um we see all, all the time and this is why this is emotional part of that has maintained the real estate agent in their place now what is really happening is that real estate agents need to find the client and this is by themselves without a team there is usually a broker on top of them which they give 10 percent of the transaction for but that broker doesn't make enough money to actually supply them with any help um, this is true for the Remax or the Century 21. Century 21, by the way, is much better in Europe than it is in the U.S. Uh, because they have this kind of rent service in the U.S. where they give 90, 90% of their split to uh, the agent and 10% back to them. So what ends up happening is that you get everybody and anyone who's not no training. With this in, um, with this in mind, the real estate agents need to find the client, qualify the client, um, help them with mortgages if, if they need um, if they need help in that front. Um, organize showings, which can take two to three hours uh, per show per showings. Um, go to the showing, be personable, know your data, have um, have to write up the contracts, which can be very long because you need to find all kind of legal um, legal documentation on the on the property. Negotiate the deal. Follow once it's accepted. Follow up every single step, which include 
uh, inspection, um, dates for mortgages, on and so forth, um, and go to the closing and do the walkthrough. And this is just for one client. Um, and this is the reason real estate agents are so bad at it is because they're a one-man band with no tools. And because they don't make a lot of money, they cannot have, they cannot afford to buy for you, might buy new clients. They cannot afford to have technology on it and so forth. Um, and this is actually very reminiscent of a lot of different businesses that tended to do everything by themselves in a very small uh, localization, and it could work because they were the only agent in that place, so everybody used them. But with today's world, where everything is interconnected through a database called the MLS, which is ubiquitous to the uh, real estate market in the, in the U.S., where you have literally 92% uh, of all transactions in real estate in the U.S. goes through the MLS, um, this transparency is no longer. Um, so is this transparency, I'm sorry, this... Uh, obscurity local, is no longer. This obscurity is no longer. This local privilege disappears because anybody can see anything at any time. So what we've decided to do is change it completely. So the first thing we've done is we separated the task with professional teams. Uh, we have a marketing team that goes and find clients. We have a, a team of consultants who are the first responder who will answer the uh, answer within five minutes to every single inquiries you will have as soon as you select the property. If you select 15 properties, they're all attached to your profile. We know exactly what you look like. We know what your browser um, is, so we can address you in the correct language. We know what you've. Um, we know which neighborhood, what price point. Um, we'll talk to you to explain to you how it works. Uh, gather more information, and this will feed off our algorithm. Our algorithm will then match you with the best three agents that we have that will be, that that fits your profile. And then the agent, the first one who respond, will actually go on the call and will already have read your um, your profile, so we'll be able to take the relationship from there to the next step. While he's talking to you, actually all of the showings are organized. So within the scope of one hour, where you're on the on the on the phone explaining your project, looking for a new home, etc., we will have found all of the matching homes, get you with one of the agents who already knows you, organize all of the showings while you're on the phone with the agent, and all of this automatically. Um, when you get to the showings, you actually have uh, things that everybody should have, but apparently they don't, which is Google Calendar invites, uh, reminder, uh, reminder, all of the information of everybody, all of the party involved in one single place, uh, have advanced data analytics. We do a lot of data mining, and everything I do actually works based on data mining to have um, great insight on the property, what are the latest transaction, uh, what, has, what have they done, which is information which you could absolutely do by hand. It would only take you about six to seven hours, granted you have the skills, um, to do it manually. We do it completely automatically for every single property we go and visit. You go there, the contract building also is done completely automatic, uh, automatic because all of the key information, all of the legal description on and so forth is done um, through the iPad of the agent. The agent is there with their iPad. They're able to see all of the property, all of the key information, all of the data, and do the contract right in there. then it's there. The contract is attached to the profile of the, um, of the client and sent directly to the listing agent. And the, um, our agent will go through a negotiation and then you will be able to see every single step of the way through your profile on the website. And when you finally get there to your walkthrough and you finally get your keys uh, through uh, something that used to be extremely stressful, but actually now was a breeze and you're usually much happier to be at your, uh, at, at your new home, we actually give you a little teddy bear that says, welcome home. Uh, and we take a picture of you and we post it on the, on the, on the net and we find new clients like this and we start all over again.
And so this has changed the market drastically. Um, first and foremost, you can see who you're working with. You can change your agent. You can absolutely pick and choose through our website. You see all of the transactions he's had. You can rate him after every single day of showing. Um, you can tell if he's worked in this area before or not. Um, and this is completely, this is actually literally sent to you to your email and to your, and to your phone uh, when you get assigned an agent. So complete transparency here. Transparency on the data uh, for the client as well. We do not retain the data just for us. We actually share it with the, with, with the client. And as soon as you have a question, and on top of that, to anybody at the company, they will be able to help you know exactly where you are. All right, so there's a lot of stuff in there, Olivier. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to start uh, unpacking some of that. So the, the first one that really struck me was this notion of data. So you are pulling all this data, and it strikes me when you're buying a house for the first time, you're a virgin. And what do you know about this stuff? And so how do you augment and make me know more than I think I know, or at least... You know, if I'm coming in, what is it that you can provide that helps me understand better what I need than I think I know? So, the, so every buyers are looking for a, a few things. They usually know where they want to live. Very, very often, the buyer will have a family and will have kids, and therefore, they're much more constrained by the area in which the school is than the uh, than what one might expect. So, um, first time buyer, and this is true for first time buyers. Uh, first time buyers will have a location that they already know. And then a price point that is actually defined by the bank, which is telling them this is the amount that you will be able to have for the loan. So, And those are basically the two criteria. The extra criteria that they often have would be the number of bedrooms, because depending on how many kids that they have, they will be, have the, the number of bedrooms. And if they're looking for an apartment, whether they have a pet or not. And this is about it. No other information. So the, then comes the emotional stuff, the emotional stuff. Um, it needs to be a, it, it needs to, to to look presentable, it needs to look very nice. But all of this is done through pictures. Then there is a setting of the expectation. Everyone wants to have a deal, and, and this is it. Doesn't matter if um, if you're exactly at the correct price. It doesn't matter if you're overpaying or if you're underpaying. You want to feel that you're winning, um, and this is where the data comes in to set expectation um, in terms. We will be able to go um, in any building, in any apartment right now, and say, okay, this property is listed at $300,000. Well, given the, um, all of the, diff the different um, uh, transactions that has happened in the last six months, year, two years, you're able to very accurately estimate what is the correct price per square footage, what is the trend? What is the trend that is happening? What is uh, how long has it been on the market? Okay, on and so forth. So days on market, basically, is just a sense of how receptive the other party will be. But I can give you exactly the correct price at which you should do an offer. All right. So and this. So if you have this this this, this you know value, I mean, let's say that the number of times that the real estate agent says, "Ah, oh, hey, you know, Olivia, you may, you're going to make a killing on this. I know the price." They tell you this stuff, and of course, it doesn't always work out the way they go. How do you install trust in this data? I mean, in other words, why am I going to believe your data as opposed to what's coming out of the mouth of whomever? All right, so I, I have a I have a great trick with this. The data is not my agent's data; it's a client data and my data. It, it, it's the agent's data, so they actually see literally the graph going. The, the graph are being built live. Um, you can see all of the different data points. You can actually check the math 
um, and you can see all of the different transactions. And if you see that, if you click on the transaction, you can see what was the apartment that was there, what was, when was it sold, etc. So just by adding the transparency, there is no question that this is true. You can actually literally check check the mass and check the data right then and there. And this will completely beat whatever somebody can say. All right. So you, more. All right. So you have. Wait, let me let me just bounce back in because something like Zillow in the states is pretending to be transparent let's say or affirming that it's got all the data and it's putting it out there and and it seems to be doing well in that regard how do you know that yours is going to be better uh, so if we want to go in depth into zillow is there issue that they're looking at long-term historical data um and doesn't account for peaks and um uh, peaks and deeps of the of the market well uh, particularly they're not looking at very local ge- geographical areas are looking through throughout the country, which is okay, but not, not a very great model. And furthermore, it doesn't show you the mass. It doesn't show you what it took to get this, to get to this information. Uh, they just assume that people will trust as it will trust them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the famous example, um, that the CEO of, of Zillow actually b- bought his house with a 40% margin co- different than the Z estimate that, that, uh, that he had. Um, what I like about our technology is that you can actually check the, check the mass, and we on top of that we add another element, which is the percentage of negotiability that people have, has had uh, in that particular building. So we will take the listing price and we'll take the closing price. We will actually get the average the average negotiability you get, and you will be able to um, to make an offer that is right on point, and that is exactly the right price. Mm-hmm. Of course. There is always a sales tactic and how you're going to be able to negotiate, but the reality is people are extremely price sensitive. If you're able to put the right price, the thing will sell. And it also also help in terms of the buyer perspective or the renter perspective. Very often they're trying to negotiate uh, a lot on rent. The reality is at this current time, well, at the very least before a hurricane passed through the city, um, is, an, is there average negotiability rate on um on, on rental was 2.5%, which means it's zero. That's right. Uh, All right, so Olivia, I, I, we got, we are, I know we are, our time is limited, but I, I wanted to, um, so Home61, uh, give us just a quick idea on your, how long you've been around, um, how, many, how many agents you have, and if what you can, whatever size you can tell us uh, how you are, so we understand what we're talking about here. Absolutely. Um, so we started in um, we started in 2015. Uh, we grew the company the first year. We did 24 million dollars in sales. We did 44 million dollars uh, um, the second year. We're currently uh, aiming to to reach 80 million to 77 million to be exact uh, this um, this year. Uh, but the greatest mark of success is not the top line numbers. Um, is that we build a system that works. And it, and when I say it works, it doesn't work for Home 61. It works for everyone. You have a much better experience from the from the client perspective, um, from the agent perspective. Compared to the market where year one and year two are supposed to make nine thousand dollars a year, our agents make forty thousand dollars their first year, seventy thousand dollars their second year, and the agent that has been with us for three years are currently trending between a hundred and a hundred and twenty thousand dollars. So they're actually beating the average of the sixteen year plus agent that are on the market. At the same time, positive unit economics. Um, for the for for the company, a marketing that is profitable, being able to f- to feed our agents uh, with enough with enough leads, getting those leads to be treated 
so well that it doesn't matter which real estate agent you're going to have, you're actually going to have a great experience. Um, and this is really the winning combination. And what and this is how business has changed also in the last uh, uh, in the last hundred years. Is that before I was taught as a very young young kid, I was taught that business was able to get one over the person across the table. Well, that's not it. That's not true anymore. Today, you need to make a business that works for the person across the table and for you. And this is how you're going to build a great business. Um, it could still not work, but if you're able to get all of those elements together, your chances of success will increase exponentially. And this is what we're having here, and this is why I love so, so much from 61. Most beautiful. All right, so I'm going to go for one last question, which is about sort of how you're driving the business and the marketing side of it, because you're a savvy guy. You obviously know your numbers. And what other thing I wanted to remark on was that you obviously have great insights into your customer and the feelings and the and the issues and so on that they're having. How are you driving the market, your marketing of the company? And there I'm thinking, do you have to drive in getting more agents or get more property listings? Or is it the other side, finding buyers? Give us an idea of that and how what's successful in the way you're doing marketing. All right. So every company has its challenges. And my challenge is getting this fine line um, of growing the number of clients and the number of agents uh, consistent. Uh, and I have to tell you, you know, it's a startup. We're, we're fighting every single day. We always get it wrong one way or another mm. sometimes. Then we have mm. too many clients uh, per agent, which means that the clients are um, not being attended uh, with the promptness that they should be. Sometimes we have uh, too many agents, not enough, not, not enough uh, clients, which you can imagine what, what, uh, what it does for team morale. And this is exactly the fine line that we have to keep on doing. In order to, what has been very interesting is that um, in a world where Zillow and Trulia uh, does a lot of marketing, they're doing marketing for browsing, we're actually doing marketing for transaction, and we're doing it at a hyper-local level, um, we are actually running quite unopposed in the marketing side. Traditional real estate agents do marketing offline whenever they, whenever they can. Um, quite frankly, I, I think what they should do is come and join us and be um, and be able to get leads and qualified leads and things organized for them right away and frankly make more money. So commission split with us is 50-50, which is usually the turnoff of uh, traditional real estate a- a- agents saying like, oh, but doing 90-10 is better than 50-50. Well, no, it's not true. It's better to do 40K at 50-50 than 9K at 910. Um, and so... The, to, do, to drive marketing has been actually quite easy. What has been even more interesting is because we're doing a lot of closings, uh, last year we did 419 closings, we, people see us everywhere. People are coming to us uh, organically more and more and more because they know it's a trusted brand, they know that the service is, the service is impeccable, they know they're going to have an answer. So people are actually driving, driving us. And so we're actually benefiting from our great from our great service and this is something that has been fantastic it's very validating of everything of everything mm. else we've done so far yeah and i assume that all uh, you have like uber ratings for all your for all your agents which as soon as they've collected enough closings that starts to be really valuable to say this guy's done his stuff he he says what he does he does what he says and so on is that exactly true and actually we rate them after each showing we keep them on point um, meaning that you're going to go show a property, and if you did not like your experience with the agent for whatever reason, uh, this is actually reported to us direct, directly, um, and we go and attend to it. Um, what has been very impressive is that 
people rate their agent actually five star out of five, ninety nine percent of the uh, of the time because, well, we have to see the competition. We arrive on time. We know our stuff. Uh, you have all the information right there. You can make contracts right away. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to close a transaction with us because a series of things can can happen. But the experience is great, and this hap- and this is what's driving our marketing effort is showing this through pictures of the clients with a teddy bear, showing that we're knowledgeable about the market, uh, using so- social media, media, doing re- just simply paid paid marketing to acquire clients. All of this with the aura of being service client, client service first is actually bringing you a lot of new traffic behind it that is just organic traffic that's coming to us. On top of that, which converts a lot better. So just a question, quick question before I get the last one, which is, do can uh, agents rate their clients? The agents cannot rate their. Um, right, that their was clients. that was more that was more of a joke, but um. Uh, with but rec- I liked it. I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I, I'm sure they would. Uh, we have some a few horror stories that are very uh, very very funny that we can share with you with uh, at another another time. I'm sure right. They will welcome this. Yeah, idea. because exactly there's this you know like it's you know the customer's always right, but you know like an Uber, it's I think it's a two way phone. So the, with regard to driving the market, you mentioned paid uh, marketing in socialized. Do you find that that is the sustainable model for you to capture new clients by doing AdWords uh, and social uh, marketing? Ultimately, you do all of this to create a standardized brand. People don't shop on Amazon um, just because of the great brand it is, it is a retailer. They shop on Amazon because it is easy, because they know they trust because they, they trust the service, and they know that if there is any issue, it's going to be fixed. Um, and so, what we this is what we strive to achieve is this kind of, of recognizable brand where it doesn't matter uh, which which agents you get, as long as you work with Home Sixty One, you're going to have a great experience. And that all of our efforts are geared towards this. I'll actually go back to the Uber example. Um, if you've landed at GFK at some point in your life, you will have met those guys with, with those kind of like cardboard saying like, please come into my car, I will drive you to Manhattan. And you're never, t- I, 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 I've never seen anybody go in those cars because you're, you're afraid you're going to get killed or robbed or, or, or worse. Um, yeah, exactly. And the reality, when you take an Uber, this is exactly what you're doing. You're getting into a stranger's cars that you do not know. You often you have his name, you have his phone number, and or you don't even have his phone number. It's, it's through central, uh, but you do not mind going into a stranger's car at all, and you trust that he will bring you bring you home safe and sound. And you do this because you trust Uber, and you do this because you know that because he's been vetted by Uber, regardless that you don't even know how they they vetted him, um, you know you're going to be safe and sound. It's a it's it's a it's a tried service, therefore you use it every day. And that's exactly what Home 61 aims to be. It doesn't matter which real estate agents you're going to have. You can see his profile, you can see who he is, etc. But as long as you work with us, you know you're going to have a great experience. And so all your marketing, all of my marketing, is geared towards this experience. Um, you said his. Are most your agents men, or are there is many women as well? What's the mix there? Actually, um, very often, um, and kind of perhaps surprisingly, but usually our clients are couples. Um, and and in this particular in this particular case, I said uh, him just by by ha- habit. But what we see, um, and which still surprises me to tell you, is that I still see a lot of remnant of the nuclear uh, family where you have the 
is a, is a guy who usually does a financial is a financial decision, and the woman actually making the actual emotional decision, which it, by the way counts for a lot more when you pick a, a home. Um, and this is what we still see. I think this is going to evolve uh, sooner rather than later, where we're going we're, this this equation is no longer going to be holding true. But as of right now, for our, our client's perspective, this is still a reality. All right, so I'm going to close with one comment, which is that in my case with my wife, it's not about the emotional decision, but the practical decisions. Like, is this there? Does that work? And all this stuff. So, um, Olivier, thank, oh, how do you get Home 61? Just last. What's, a- what's the name of it? So I, I wanted, you know, because it's all about the experience with us, um, we wanted to make something that's not a house, not a property, not an apartment, but actually your home. So this is where the home came from. But I wanted to always keep something about Miami, which is where we started, um, and not and to have a nice little wink to the city. And so what we were looking for the name, LeBron James with the Miami Heat put 61 points by himself uh, in a game, which was record-breaking. And so we're like, okay, it's Miami, it's a wink, and it's record-breaking. Home 61. There you go. I was thinking uh, people born in 1961 like my wife. So um, with that, Olivier, what is, so what's the best way to connect with you, follow you, and of course, find out more about Home 61? Um, so go to home61.com, go all the way at the bottom team, and you have my email uh, right, right, right there. But in case you don't want to do that, you can just go to Olivier at home61.com or Oliver at home61.com. Beautiful. We like things to be very practical. Love it. Olivier, thanks for coming on. It's been great to connect with you and talk about this. And wish you a lot of success with Home 61, record-breaking, and uh, good UI, and great programming. And thanks for the tips uh, on uh, for people who want to have the careers. So it's lovely. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. That's great. Thank you very much. Bye, Minter. Bye-bye. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y. Where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way To rid me of the gray And heal me with all your imperfections that you mention Yeah.
with all your favorite shades And we paint it with our fingers To show the world the way we feel Oh, oh the way I feel My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.